Hello, Bernadette Winters Bell, your host of the podcast from heartache to healing and hope. And in this third season, from heartache to the art of healing, as I always say, I have a very special guest. And today, from the Louis Armstrong Center for Music and Medicine, is Andrew Rossetti. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Hello, pleasure to be here. Excellent. Thank you. So since you probably know yourself better than me, would you introduce yourself to my audience, please? Uh, sure. I am a licensed uh, psychotherapist in New York State, a board-certified music therapist, and I'm the director of oncology music therapy at the Louis Armstrong Center for Music and Medicine uh, here in New York City at, at uh, Mount Sinai Healthcare System. How long has the center been in operation? Oh, the center itself has, has been in existence for about 23 years. And uh, it was uh, stewarded and, and created by uh, Dr. Joanne Lowy, who is a colleague and uh, a good friend at this point. So okay. oncology and, and music therapy, um, perhaps strangely enough, are something that, that actually uh, have quite a long history of going together because it's uh, not an uncommon thing uh, here in the States and, and in uh, many parts of Europe at this, at this point for music therapy to be part of uh, the chemo infusion suite experience for patients. So our, our program is a little different in that um, it focuses on radiation oncology, which is an area that has very typically uh, been ignored by most music therapists and uh, that that part of the program the program in and of itself about 23 years and this program in radiation oncology has been in effect uh, about 11 years at this point and why did it get invited late to the party do you think to me it it seemed totally logical that music therapy uh, should be uh, very much should be part of, of uh, what goes on in radiation oncology um, there are many patients who um, are traumatized by treatment itself, by their diagnosis, uh, difficulties with illness burden and, and treatment burden, and that seems especially so in this very, very fragile environment. So um, when I got uh, hired to implement a program uh, here at, at Mount Sinai, uh, I thought that the most logical thing would be to, to start it off in radiation oncology. And so far, you know, at that time we were the, the only uh, existing uh, music psychotherapy program in, in uh, radiation oncology anywhere. Wow, that's amazing. And had you done work like this before, prior to Mount Sinai? Okay, so my background as a therapist is uh, in acute inpatient psychiatric care. And uh, that's what I w was, uh, had done for uh, my years as a therapist. Before I moved back uh, to the States, I'd lived in Europe for about 35 years, uh, in, in Barcelona, Spain, actually. And uh, so that was my, my area of focus. But uh, when I moved back to the States, initially that was to Chicago, and that was uh, once again to implement a music therapy program, but in uh, neonatology. And, and was that for the babies and the families also? Babies and yeah, for the neonates, uh, for families and, and for staff as well. Oh. 
Oh, wonderful. And you could easily imagine, visualize it having such a calming effect. Calming is one thing that, that we do. Uh, one of the easiest things to do with music is to, is to sort of help people downregulate, um, to change emotional response. You know, music is just uh, such a, a wonderful regulator of, of emotional response. Uh, it's something that we all, all of us pretty much, uh, use on a very regular basis. But there, there are many other things that we could do with music in the context of clinical music therapy. You know, which is not just passive music listening, but as, as I mentioned um, uh, when I was introducing myself, I'm a licensed psychotherapist, so uh, we use music in the context of psychotherapy. Tell me more, this is fascinating. Uh, many of the things that I, that I do for patients uh, uh, here in oncology is not just help sedate them, uh, although uh, anxiety is certainly a a, uh, something to be addressed, but I also provide procedural support during uh, venipunctures and blood draws and cannula placement, uh, things like that. Um, also, I, I uh, treat patients for uh, a number of emotional disorders that sometimes they're comorbidities that they come in with and sometimes they're things that are developed during their, their illness. So depression is one of the big, one of the uh, bigger ones, but uh, there's a whole spectrum of, of emotional disorders that we work with. Uh, post-traumatic stress, uh, at times post-traumatic stress disorder. It's, um, you know, trauma is something that that uh, often um, is very common, but but is not often well addressed, and so. Uh, trauma that is that is uh, not processed and integrated is something that gets carried over into other um, situations, other experiences that, that people are in, and uh, you know medical treatment, uh, a life-threatening uh, diagnosis, uh, the way people respond to their diagnosis of cancer is often, in and of itself, traumatizing. So one of, the, one of our areas of uh, focus, one of our areas of expertise is working with traumatized patients as well. So far beyond uh, simple listening to music. Love it, love it. Right, because that's the place people probably go to first when they think of what you're speaking about. Um, sure. There's a, um, a group in Minnesota, I think, uh, Feast of Crispian. Mm -hmm. And they do work, one of the pieces of work they do is with um, veterans with PTSD mm -hmm. and Shakespeare, which again, doesn't at first blush go together easily. And so mm -hmm. we'll have two uh, veterans and two facilitators beside them, and they know the stories. And they mm -hmm. give them words from Shakespeare, which is full of violence and, you know, death and things. And they'll just give them words from any story. And the man slayed the other one and did this. And and they're able to begin to find their voice in a way that's um, unemotionally attached to the content. And they're just repeating it. And they switch off to each person. And then they give them words from their own story. And when you were in Iraq, you were in this situation where you shot someone and they're and they just repeat what's said to them 
Mm-hmm. And so they don't have to look for the words, but the emotion's already going, and then they put their words there. And they've helped so many people doing that um, because it touches a different part of their brain, just like music does. You know, they're not directly going to thinking about or feeling exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting all the different ways that it, it can be addressed. Sure. I remember, well, I remember you uh, uh, telling me about this the first time we spoke. And yeah, it's, it's a fantastic idea. You know, once again, uh, as you said, it's using something as a um, um, transitional object. It's something that's a symbolic representation of something. And so the, the, the person with uh, PTSD is not really talking about their experience directly, but in a way that's once removed. And that's actually a, a, a great safeguard to, uh, to help from re-traumatizing patients as you're treating them. Absolutely. Because, because the, the old way of uh, treating uh, trauma was desensitization, which was all about having the patient tell their story and then have them tell it a thousand times more was what what they used to say. We've we've seen at this point that desensitization is not uh, not the best approach. When you came to a place to want to work with um, your patients and music, how did that combination come together for you? Well, I I, I guess it was a a, a series of unplanned events because as as most people. Um, Back in the day, I didn't even know that music therapy was something that, that existed. I'm talking about, you know, maybe 20, 25 years ago. Um, but it was uh, um, just a matter of happenstance. I, at the time, I was a professional musician, and um, I had always been uh, very, very interested in psychology. Um, at, at one point, I had to make a decision whether whether to study music or whether to study psychology, I chose music, but it was something that I always sort of did uh, more or less independent study on. And uh, through a series of, of uh, events being invited to teach applied music skills in a uh, master's uh, music therapy program, I actually discovered what music therapy was and it just seemed like it was perfect. Oh, for you, absolutely. So, and what uh, kind of music did you play when you were just doing music? Well, I'm classically trained. I played uh, classical guitar. Uh, but, uh, you know, being a child of the 60s, I started out uh, on electric guitar playing rock and roll like, like most kids my age back then. At one point, I sort of went back to playing electric guitar as well and, and uh, played in a, a few different bands and things like that. And when you're uh, using music therapy and acting as a music therapist, hmm. uh, I would imagine that any venue of music is open to you. Oh, of course. I mean, we found that, and this is something that the, that the research uh, backs up, is that uh, the most effective music to start off with is patient-preferred music. And, I, you know, I don't think that's rocket science. There's, there are uh, lots of um, what you might call self-help products, uh, uh, wellness products out on the market that, uh, that uh, use things that they're calling relaxing music or 
um, you know, any number of, of uh, uh, internet servers that, that uh, provide music that have um, uh, music programs that they put together that are relaxing or they're, they're energizing or they're this or they're that. But uh, what the research told us is that, at least in a clinical context, that the thing that works best is the music that a, that a patient prefers. And if, if we think about that for a second, um, I happen to like lots of different kinds of music. Many of my patients don't. So if, if I were to come up with something that I think is, for me, very relaxing, uh, but it's something that, that doesn't connect with them um, on an emotional level, on a symbolic level, on, on as far as music having a, a, a certain significance for them, it's something that they're either not going to focus on, which sort of, you know, that uh, would, uh, would uh, sort of put an end to the whole process, or it's something that, that uh, they would ask to be turned off. Right. Like if you gave me Led Zeppelin, I, I, I wouldn't be relaxed. <laughs> I can't believe you don't like Led Zeppelin. Um, my husband and child do. Does that count for anything? <laughs> right. No, but anything, actually any music at all has to be relaxing. And um, that's, this is one of the things where, um, uh, that at least from my point of view, is an, is an error in uh, ways that people who are not therapists use music for what they call therapeutic ends. And so it's, first of all, it's, it's not even though what you play is very important, it's how it's played that makes a big difference too, which is one of the reasons why we use almost exclusively live music in, in our practice, because live music is something that I can uh, change in a moment's notice. I can make Led Zeppelin sound like a lullaby. Oh, or, well, you didn't tell me, or, so you're a magician. <laughs> no, actually, no, it's... Um, actually pretty formulaic it's that it has nothing to do with magic just with um uh, paying attention to specific elements of music such as tempo register harmonic complexity melodic complexity and modifying those to modify the response that you want to you want to engender in your in your patient what's the most surprising thing you've learned uh, doing this work the most surprising thing that i've learned doing this work hmm is the the amount of trust that uh, my patients seem to invest uh, in in music therapy and music therapy services? That was surprising. To well, I bet you knew that they were going to have some music that they liked, but not. Uh, I guess it's not a given, of course, that people would just trust this type of therapy, especially prior to having radiation and chemo mm. or sure yeah yeah i think that's i think that's a, a good way to look at it um most of my patients who are well maybe this is this is uh changing because music therapy has been in the media so much uh lately and uh in in uh, uh magazines um there are a few articles that that uh, i was interviewed for in a magazine called women's health also an article in the New York Times that featured our work as well. So I, th I think music therapy is becoming more well-known, just part of the, um, the collective consciousness of, of people, especially here in the States. But um, 
Yeah, I, I'd say that, that uh, a fair number of my patients really have no idea what music therapy is, at least, at least accurately uh, have any idea what music therapy is going to be. They think that they're uh, music therapy, oh, somebody's going to be uh, putting on a CD for me, a, a relaxation CD or something like that. And uh, actually, the, the uh, interventions that they get are, are quite different than that. I think that, that they are uh, pleasantly surprised, uh, finding out that the first day that they're coming in for treatment, um, that the first intervention they get is actually music therapy. So on their, their first day, they're in, they're in here for music therapy. Um, what we do with patients on the first day is a, is a protocolized intervention that involves um, orientation and, and habituation to the more somatic experience of what they're going to be going through that day. And uh, also, um, there's a protocolized intervention that, that works at lowering their state anxiety, providing them with tools to be able to do that when they actually go in and start the procedure, the medical procedure itself. Um, there is a technique to uh, show them how to make a rather uncomfortable chair feel more comfortable because the treatment table is something that, that uh, I know from experience is very uncomfortable. And so uh, the last is uh, guided uh, visualization and music to, as a preemptive um, intervention for uh, claustrophobic or, or phobic events in, in general. So I don't think anybody comes in with the idea that they're going to be getting this intervention and a set of resources that they can use for themselves during treatment as needed. I think that's one of the most important things I just heard you say is that besides that you're giving them something that's um, not what they were anticipating perhaps, but the strategies and coping techniques you're teaching them hmm. right before treatment and they have them to access right now, you know, um, and that's important. Um, one, to show it to them and explain it, but to be able to give it to them in, in a way that they can use it right away in a difficult situation. That's, that's terrific. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, well, we like, to, we like to think so. And actually we did a, a clinical study on, on this uh, protocol and uh, uh, we got very, very robust outcomes. So you find that it you're able to then clinically measure the lowering of their anxiety and right. from their experience, um, <laughs> how much better it was for them than they had anticipated or feared. Absolutely. That's actually something that's pretty easy to do. Yeah. The, me the measurement, I mean. Right, yeah. right. Absolutely. What was a success story that really sticks out in your mind is that you really had an impact that stays with you? I, I have a... a pretty heavy patient load at this point. Um, I guess I can say that I've seen thousands of patients. I never, I've never actually counted how many, but uh, for, the, for the most part, the outcomes of the intervention, I'd have, to, I'd have to say that the vast majority 
are, are constructive. And <coughs> I don't I don't want to be presumptuous, but um, yeah, I can I can think of a, a number of patients who were particularly fragile, who were uh, distressed, um, having difficulty regulating their their emotions, and and uh, uh, saw from the intervention that that uh, that they did better. I think a piece of it. Um comes to mind for me that when you have a center for medicine, the music and medicine, so of course it tells them how much um, substance has gone into this, belief, money, structure, mm -hmm. and that they're going to be taking care, your organization is going to be taking care of them, the whole person, not just, okay, we're going to take a picture of over here or zap this and let me let me tattoo it up for you. When you come in, wear this kind of shirt and do this. Mm. And all of that may be part of it, of course, for it to be effective. But you're addressing their fears, their concerns, their spirit, their anxiety, their expectations. Um, mm. And to do that says, I see all of you, body, mind and spirit. And we're going to give you tools so that this could be a good experience. I agree with what you're saying. This is this is a, um, a focus on integrative care, in the in the true sense of the word. So um, I work very closely with the other professionals um, here, in, in especially in radiation oncology, uh, the radiation therapists. Those are the people that deliver. Uh, the radiation itself. There are uh, a number of physicians here. We have a physics department. Uh, we have nursing, RNs, and nurse practitioners. And we all work very closely together to coordinate care, to sort of provide this holistic approach to working with the whole patient, not just the, not just the, the disease. It's not just about treating the disease. It's, it's about the, the um, who the patient was before they became seriously ill, and helping them work through this um, often change in their sense of self that happens when uh, when they become a patient and a sick person, right? Absolutely. You know, in the work that I do um, as a life loss and grief therapist, um, and people are coming to me after experiencing a loss of trauma. Hmm. And we're looking at who they were, and we put a, a demarcation place somewhere, maybe a desk, loss of a job, a lifestyle. And then we look at who they're becoming now, which to my mind is um, ongoing. I call it percolating. Remember those old coffee pots and it would percolate up? <laughs> I do indeed, yeah. <laughs> and so that's an ongoing process. And then also what you're doing affects and addresses the person they're gonna become. Because as opposed to later, say when they're recounting the story, this is how I, pain I had, these are my symptoms that I got diagnosed. And then I went to this music therapy, you can't believe it. And then they made me a customized playlist and did this and, did, and played music and did this. And it, it fits into the whole story of the three different parts, just like you're talking about. It absolutely, allows them to have hope infused 
into their story, which I always think is essential. I think that's a good point. Hope is a is a wonderful thing to be able to have. I believe that along with hope, that there are uh, it's equally important to find moments of of joy, as strange as that sounds. Not at all. Yeah, in in treatment, and this is I, I think uh, something that's that's part of the process of being able to integrate experiences and and you know for lack of a better way to put it to move forward not to let go of it not to not to move beyond it but to move forward exactly. you know i talk to people about uh the gifts of the dying uh the gifts of the grieving the gifts of pandemic and most of the time people don't like the word i'm using initially gifts but i'm not amazon and they can't return it so i'm sticking with it um but what I'm talking about is in processing um, these situations, and there's a lot that's difficult there. Hmm. You still receive gifts in perhaps your growth or your knowledge or the new person you're becoming, uh, which would not have happened if not for this trauma, this loss, this disease, whatever it is. It doesn't mean. You wouldn't get the gifts back if you could and go back to who you were, but that's not a possibility. Um, but I think that, again, is part of the holistic part, not only of being treated holistically, but of seeing yourself holistically in, in maybe a, a way that says, I went through this horrible thing, I received these gifts, this hmm. is more who I am. Sure. Potentially every adverse experience is an, an opportunity for personal growth. Now, that's, that's not something I would ever tell a patient directly. It sounds flippant, but um, it, it's actually true. There are, there are people who, um, who get through treatment um, and actually flourish. There's, there's real personal growth that takes place there. You know, I, I mentioned it to my clients along the way, <laughs> not in the beginning, but mm -hmm. when they're coming to a place where often they're feeling guilty because something good is happening or they're enjoying something and they don't feel like they should because they came to me with something negative, you know, mm -hmm. um, and that, but that's all part of it, you know, and also I always think that there's hope, no matter what the situation, but hope changes, you know. I don't have hope that I'm going to hop out of bed like a 25-year-old <laughs> and go about my day. But there's always hope. And the joy that you speak of, I think, is also essential to keep inside our spirit, inside of ourselves. You know, and to me, that's different than being happy. Happy is an ice cream cone. It's conditional. Um, but joy is something you can foster inside of yourself and keep that flame, that light going. Mm -hmm. And you may not always feel it, but that doesn't mean that it's not there. Oh, of course. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, there, there are plenty of times when, when uh, uh, during the course of, of treatment, when, when patients uh, experience truly profound things. Um, not not all of them are on the negative end of the the negative uh, part of the spectrum, right? It, you know, it's always my hope that we could we could find a way to to uh, to help people experience m more of those things. 
Where do you see the future of this going? What's next? We always have lots of projects. We're actually uh, a, a sort of big uh, music therapy program. So we have um, eight therapists uh, at uh, this year, 13 interns, uh, master's level interns, uh, two research assistants, uh, medical director. And so we are very interested in research. I think five um, uh, RBL approved uh, research projects in, in motion. And uh, really happy to, to say that we got our, our first government grant uh, this year. Congratulations, yes. Yeah, thank you. National Endowments for the Arts. Uh, there are lots of things already in motion. We, we started our first animal-based study as well with, uh, with mice and, uh, and chronic pain. Wow. And would your area uh, include those that are terminally ill and dying? Sure. So, um, my, what I oversee, the part of the program that I oversee is, is in oncology, but we are, we're pretty much serve, I can't say all of the units in the hospital because we're just not, we're not big enough, a big enough department to be able to do that. But uh, uh, palliative care, end of life care is a, an area that we've been uh, involved in for, for many years before I actually, before I started working here. Um, pediatrics, uh, uh, the uh, pediatric emergency departments, uh, neonatology, the NICU, uh, surgical ICUs, medical ICUs, um, general medicine, inpatient, uh, psychiatric care. So we're, we, we serve as many of the units as, as we can. We do practice uh, what we call a strategy of uh, continuity of care, which is the idea of following a patient if we can throughout their entire treatment trajectory. And so uh, typically for many oncology patients, that means uh, chemotherapy, surgery, um, radiation oncology, and for some, for some patients, uh, palliative care as well. You know, the arts in healthcare is something that, that over the past maybe five years is something that's really starting to take off. Um, here in the States, there, there are many, many programs it's becoming fairly common in hospitals to have at least a small music therapy department. Um, it's also growing exponentially in Europe and Asia, um, especially main, mainland China. I've actually been there five times to teach over the past years and, and uh, really interesting, sort of a, a, um, uh, a cultural phenomena because uh, psychotherapy was not something that was particularly well regarded or popular in mainland China and uh, it is uh, very quickly becoming uh, extremely popular let's put it that way well that's a surprising thing for, and and welcome for, for me to hear that's lovely yeah all the different places and different like you say cultures and ideas and traditions um, and they, that they can be open uh, to different modalities um, mm -hmm. so that we all can become healthier, hopeful. 
Well, this has been an extreme pleasure, Andrew. I thank you so much for coming on the podcast, especially in this season that I'm calling From Heartache to the Art of Healing. And that's, you're doing the art and science with much skill in, in helping people to heal. So thank you so much for speaking with us and for the work that you do. Well, thank you, Bernadette, for the kind words. I really do appreciate that. And it's been a, been a pleasure getting to talk to you again. Excellent. Now tell my audience where they can find information about this great program. So you can uh, either Google or directly type in uh, www.musicandmedicine.org or .com and that will take you to the Louis Armstrong Center for Music and Medicine's webpage. And there you'll find lots and lots of information about music therapy about practice, uh, music therapy practice in hospitals, and uh, quite a few videos. Oh, one last question. Why Louis Armstrong? Was he big on this connection of music and medicine? Oh, that's a long story. Oh. But I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, bring it, I'll uh, give you a quick rundown. So uh, Louis was a patient at uh, Beth Israel, which is, uh, we, we merged with uh, Sinai a few years ago. So Louis was a patient at Beth Israel. He was very, very pleased with his care that he received there. And he made a decision uh, before passing that he wanted to leave some uh, funding for some sort of program in the hospital um, that would include music and children. As luck would have it, his publicist, a, a very wonderful woman uh, named Phoebe Jacobs, met the director, well, now the director of the program, Dr. Joanne Lowy. Um, Joanne actually was a patient at the time. And uh, she met uh, Phoebe and they spoke about uh, music therapy. And Phoebe said, this is exactly what Louis had in mind. So that's, that's how the, the, the uh, program actually started off at, at uh, Beth Israel. Beth Israel and now Mount Sinai. I just love it. And I also loved when I met you at the, the yearly fundraiser, uh, yeah. the fundraiser, and they said they were serving Louis Armstrong's favorite foods, and one of it was matzo ball soup. I just loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. No, that was no. funny. <laughs> well, thank you so, so very much. And I can't wait for my audience to hear this. It's going to be enlightening, educational, and hopeful for so many people. So thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Bernadette. Looking forward to seeing you again. Uh, I'll be down. <laughs> okay.